number six. I appreciate your pastor allowing me to use this Pentecostal microphone. Anybody ever heard of Benny Hinn? Well, I'm Joe Rooster, and I'm glad to be here tonight. But uh, back last year, March the 11th, we were having some severe vocal issues, and so went to the doctor, and he ran a light inside and said I had polyps on my vocal cords, multiple, and polyps are ruptured blood vessels. How in the world does a Baptist preacher get ruptured blood vessels? That's how he does it, like that right there, like we do, and all of us. And so they said, we got to surgically remove them. Boy, that scared me. I don't like knives. If you wear a mask and have a knife in your hand and you come after me, I may shoot you. <laughs> then he said, we're going to check you for cancer. Boy, that tore my nerves up. And then he said, 10 weeks, can't preach, can't sing. You got to stay at home. That was even more scary than the surgery. My wife and I have been married for 38 years. I've never been at home 10 straight weeks. That's how you stay married a long time. Don't go home. <laughs> Brother Cody, you can't fight if you ain't there. But the Lord helped us, and the polyps came off. There was no cancer. And we were back preaching about six weeks at our church, 10 minutes only. They loved it. Sunday morning only for 10 minutes. They loved it. And we're working our way back. And my voice therapist, I had to go to therapy. And she said, don't use the tie mic. Hold it straight up here to your mouth. And if I can keep from going through that again, I'll stand on my head and preach. And I appreciate you allowing me to do this. One preacher said, we can't do that in our church because it looks holiness. I said, well, they play pianos too. I'm just glad to be here. I love you, preacher, and I mean this. He's one of my favorite preachers. I love to hear him. I'm still rejoicing over that message you preached up in Yankee land on the scope of the Word of God, the microscope, the telescope. He had some scopes I'd never, I think you made up a few of them, but I enjoyed it. And the Lord is good, and it's good to be with the Matthews family. I just turned 60, and I know that don't sound old to some of you, like Brother Bobby and different ones in here. But I knew Becky when she was just a little girl, and to watch her grow up and then watch her family born. In fact, when one of them youngest was born, me and Scott got her in the car and rode her around all over Spartanburg, hoping that thing would be born. Well, it made it, and we praise the Lord for that. And it's good to see you tonight. God is good. Uh, turn to somebody beside of you and say, hey, you look better with your mask on. Amen. Brother Cody, you'll love this. I was complaining about wearing that mask, and he's met my wife before. She's brutally honest, and I was complaining about my mask, and she said, you need yours. I said, why? She said, it improves your looks by 50%. <laughs> then I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and you young fellas, don't ever do that. Because the last woman in your life to have sympathy on you will be your mother. And all of God's men said, preach. John chapter number six in your Bible tonight. 
John chapter number six. We're going to break in on this chapter and see what the Lord has for us tonight. Look what he says now, if you will, in verse number 16. John chapter six, verse number 16. And when evening was now come, his disciples went down into the sea. And may I say tonight some of the greatest lessons in life that you will learn about mercy and grace won't be on the upside of life. It'll be on the downsides. But I'm glad the same God that's God on the upside is the same God that's God on the downside. Down into the sea. And entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. I want to add yet, but he will be there. Verse 18, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus. Notice what he's doing, walking, not by the sea, not under the sea, not even through the sea, but on the sea. The very thing they thought would be their destruction, Jesus is walking on it. And he's not out there just walking around. Notice it says, walking on the sea and drawing nigh under the ship, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, and I love these three little big words, it is I. And he followed it by three more little big words, be not afraid. Verse 21, I see some humor in this. Then they willingly received him into the ship. I want to say, I guess so. After all of that, they're probably glad to see it. And by the way, after you try to solve your own problems and God comes your way, you'll be glad to see him too. <laughs> and they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. I love the way the gospel of John presents our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Surely tonight he is the King of kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. I'm glad to tell you tonight that there's no boundaries, borders, or limits to his power, to his authority, to his sovereignty. I'm glad he always has been the Lord. He's still the Lord, and he always will be the Lord. And as you progress through the Gospels recorded in John's Gospel, there is one truth you come away with that the devil is not in control and the demons are not in control and the distresses of life is not in control. You come away with this one truth that Christ is still in control. I'm glad tonight it is not over his head. I'm glad tonight it's not out of his hand. But I am glad to tell you tonight that it's under his feet. And aren't you glad when the uncontrollable winds and waves of adversity are out of our hands and over our head, it's always under his feet. 
I've come to tell you tonight that the government and the world and the devil are not even you are in control. I'm glad tonight that our family, our lives rest in the hands of the sovereign God of heaven. Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are three things in the text tonight that I want us to see. I want us to see the disciples. Then I want you to see the divine. And then I want you to see the destination. Now, when you see the disciples, that's us. But when you see the divine, that's him. But when you reach your destination, that's it. And aren't you glad one day it's going to be that's it? I'm feeling good about it already. Number one, look in the text. We see the disciples. That's us. That's a picture of you and I as we sail through this uncharted seas of life headed to the other side. It's a picture of you and I as we struggle every day of our life as we deal with the uncontrollable circumstances of life. Notice as we see the disciples tonight in the text, there are three things that I see. Number one, I want you to notice tonight the darkness that they encountered. Twice in the text, we are reminded that this is a night season in the lives of the disciples. Verse 16 said it was in the evening. Verse 17 said it was now dark. This storm, this malady, this affliction did not come upon them in the middle of the day. It came upon them in a dark season, in a night season. I heard an ultra dispensationalist say the other day, you say, what is an ultra dispensationalist? He's a man that can't claim none of the Bible. None of it you can claim it. But let me just say this. It all wasn't written to me, but it was all written for me. And you've waited too late to tell me the Bible does not work. I'm glad that it does. But he made the statement. He said, the Bible said that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And that is true. So he said this. He said, but if God is light, then there are no dark seasons in the life of a Christian. What he did not understand is there is a difference between my relationship in him and my fellowship in him. He didn't understand that my position in him is not always my practical condition that is in him. I'm glad theologically he is light and there is no darkness in his name, in his power, in his sovereignty, in his love. But if you sail on the ocean of life long enough, you will encounter some dark seasons where the clouds of fear and doubt and, and extremity come upon us. It was a dark time in their life. I'm glad God walks the dark hills. I'm glad the disciples found out that the God of the day is still the God of the night. They found out that Psalm 30 and verse 5 is true. The weeping may endure for the night. Joy cometh in the morning. In fact, some of the greatest things that God did in the Bible, he did it under the shroud of darkness. 
While it was dark that night that Abraham stood by the seashore and God said, count the stars and I will bless them that bless thee. It was a night season when Jacob slept and he saw the ladder reaching out of heaven down to the earth and the Lord was standing at the top. It was a night season when Hezekiah laid the letter before the Lord and between the morning and midnight, God sent an angel and won the victory. By the way, it was a night season when the angels decked the Judean hills and sang, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And it was in the middle of the day when it got dark at bloody Calvary. And it was an evening when they placed him in the new tomb. It was in midnight that Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. It may be dark in your life and you may not see the sunshine of prosperity and the blessings of God, but I've come to tell you, the God of the day is the God of the night and he is still right for what is wrong in your life. Notice in our text, I see the darkness. Secondly, I want you to notice in the text the distance they had traveled. The Bible said they had rode about 25 or 30 furlongs. And you say, well, what is so significant about that? Well, you got to understand the location of this text. The miracle right before this, they had been on the mountain. And Jesus has taken the five loaves and the two small fishes and he's fed 5,000 men plus the women and the children. And after that miracle, he tells them, we're going down to the sea and we're going over to Capernaum. Now to get down that mountain and go up the coast of the sea to the city limits of Capernaum, it was a distance of approximately eight miles So to go from where Jesus said go till they reached their destination was a distance of eight miles. Well, the Bible said in our text they had traveled 25 or 30 furlongs. Get your Bible dictionary. Find out how long a furlong is. Find out how long uh, 25 or 30 furlongs are. And it's approximately four and a half miles. Now you do the math. They've got eight miles to go and they'd only gone a little over four. Now if you got eight miles to go and you've not gone but four miles, where does that leave you? That leaves you halfway there. Let me tell you what it means. It means you're stuck in the middle. That means you're only halfway in your journey. Now, you know what's bad about halfway? Halfway is you're cut off from the help behind you, and you've not reached the help in front of you. Halfway means you're just kind of stuck in the middle. Halfway means this. You're not home yet. But it also means you've come too far to turn back. You know where I believe we are in the Christian life? I believe we're stuck in the middle. I believe we're experiencing a a halftime. And by the way, halftime is an easy time to get discouraged. Halftime is a good time to get weary. 
Halftime is a time where most of us just throw in the towel and quit. But I've watched enough sports to tell you, halftime's not quitting time. Halftime is not retreating time. Halftime is not going back time. Halftime is revival time. Refreshing time. Renewing time. Several, several seasons ago, our beloved Bulldogs were, were playing a little team from Alabama. And boy, it's been so wonderful. It has been so wonderful for several years now not to hear anybody say, roll tide. I want to tell you what happened. The tide got rolled over. I believe Califay Roland had that in mind when she sang, he'll roll me over the tide. But you remember that night I was in Greensboro, North Carolina? Man, we had, I mean, the Bulldogs had the tide rolled over. I mean, we had, it was so bad that Mr. Hertz got took out of the game. I said to Billy Canoy, I said, we got him. I'm going to get to the good in a minute. We got him. We got him. We got him. But only Nick Saban would do this. Only somebody mean as him would do this. In the middle of halftime. He goes and gets a first-string quarterback, Tulu Humadama Mama. And I mean, brother, the next thing you know, the Bulldogs is in the doghouse. And the tide done rolled over us again. But be not dismayed. Whatever be tied, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Woo, I felt God on that. Saith the Lord. Uh, in case he didn't tell you, I'm from Georgia, same place he's from. And when you get right with God, you'll be from there too. Say amen. Oh, I remember telling Billy Canoy, we got him, we got him. But son, he went in halftime. He regrouped at halftime and he whooped us at halftime. To make matters worse, the very next year, by an act of God, the Falcons finally made it to the Super Bowl. And ma'am, the dirty birds come out of flying. And we're running that ball down pretty boy Tom Brady's throat. He is crying. He is in the phone booth trying to call his mother. And we got him whooped. But halftime comes. And I don't know what he done at halftime. I don't know if he got saved and sanctified and full of the Holy Ghost at halftime. I don't know what he did. But brother, he come out of there at halftime. And the next thing you know, the dirty birds was back in the cage calling 911. Because buddy, we lost it at halftime. We got whooped at halftime. Because we gave up at halftime. And the enemy got renewed at halftime. You say, preacher, I feel like my prayer life's on pause. And my walk with God is on pause. And my progress to the promised land is on pause. I feel like I'm just caught in the middle. I feel like I'm just stuck in the middle. I'm too far to turn back, but I'm not there yet. I want to say when you've done all you can do and prayed all you can pray and rode all you can row and as far as you've gone, it's halfway. Lay down your oar, call on Jesus. He'll come walking on the waves and he'll come to your vessel and take you the rest of the journey. I don't walk alone. I'm not struggling along. I'm not going to get there by myself. I'm going to go holding to God's unchanging.
changing hand because the darkness is no big deal and the distance is no big deal. Number three in the text, notice the despair that they felt. They're not only in a dark place. They're not only distantly caught in the middle, but the Bible said they were afraid. And can I say this tonight about fear? When it comes to fear, there are two kinds of people. There are those who have been afraid, and then there are those who have been afraid but lied about not being afraid. Fear comes to all of us. You say, well, Brother Joe, I'm a mature Christian. I've been in the battle. I've been in the fight a long time. Let me tell you, there'll come a phone call. There'll come a knock at the door. There'll come a messenger. There'll be a doctor's visit. One of your babies will walk in and fall in your arms and say, Daddy, fix this. and You can't fix that. Boy, there'll be a situation where the waves will be over your head and the lightning flashing and the thunder rolling. You can hear the, hear the howl of the devil's waves and wind and feel the cold breath of Satan blowing on the back of your soul and fear grips your heart. You're blinded by the circumstances. All you look is confusion and bewilderment and you begin to shake and you lose faith and you get your eyes on the storm instead of the master of the storm and fear will come and anxiety will come and and, and I, I mean literally depression and anxiety will eat you alive but aren't you glad when it is dark aren't you glad when you're caught in the middle aren't you glad even when you are afraid he's still walking on the water he's still walking on the waves and he said it is I me not afraid you sure I've never been afraid you better put this on the end of it yet because there'll be a there'll be a place it's going to be too high too deep too heavy too hard for you to bear but remember when it's over your head and out of your hand mm, it is under his feet so I see the disciples, that's us. But I don't want to overemphasize the problem. I want to really emphasize the solution. So not only I want us to see the disciples, secondly, I want us to see the divine. And when we see the divine, that's him. I want you to get a threefold picture of the divine in this text. I want you to see what the Bible said Jesus is doing in the midst of this circumstance. I love the way the word of God opens in this text. It says, and they see Jesus. You say, what is so big about that? Well, up to this point, all they had seen was themselves. All they had seen was the fear and the failure in the face, in the eyes of one another. All they had seen to this point was the waves and the wind. All they had seen up to this point were their own incapability and their own fears. But somehow now God has come through. And they're not looking at each other. And they're not looking at themselves and they're looking above the wind, and they're looking above the waves, and they see Jesus. 
May God help us tonight to get our eyes off of the news and off of the circumstances and off of the uncontrollable events of life and the thoughts and failures of ourselves and one another and see Jesus. Because if you see him tonight, you'll see the precious one. You'll see the holy one. You'll see the faithful one. You'll see the unlimited one. You'll see the unchanging one. You'll see the one that's the same yesterday today and forever and they see Jesus well glory and what do they see him do and they see Jesus walking on the sea not under the sea not by the sea not through the sea, but on it. Now, even though I got a TV preacher mic, I don't want to sound like a TV preacher. But I want to do what the, I do want to preach what the Bible says about our Lord. He's on it. He is not under the circumstances. He's on it. He's not overwhelmed by the circumstances. He's on it. The very thing you think is going to destroy you, he's on it. The very thing that robs you of your victory, he's on it. The very thing that robs you from your rest and the very thing that causes you to pace the floor and can't sleep at night, he's on it. He's on your problem. He's on your need. He's on your fear. He is on your doubt. He is on your anxiety. He is on your depression. He's on it. He's on it. He's on it. He's in control. He's not confused. My God, he's not asleep. He's not helpless. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a case. He's on it tonight. He's on it tonight. What's bringing you down? He's on it. He's on it. He's on it. He's on it. Walking on the sea. And he's not out there just walking around. He's headed somewhere. Oh, I love my King James, and I'm going to stay with it. I love the way he words it. It's beautiful and expressive. They see Jesus walking on the sea. Watch this good word. Drawing nigh. Say that with me. Drawing nigh. Say that word one more time. Drawing nigh. I like that draw. The Bible is full of draw. That word drawing means to be induced. It means to be pulled. It means to have an urge. It means to be directed with an unseen hand in a certain direction. The Bible is full of being drawn. And 99 point percent of the time, 
Until you get to this text, gods are drawing. God's inducing. Yes. Most of the time in the Bible, the draw is a sovereign God drawing and inducing a depraved sinner creating an overwhelming desire whoop, to be saved. Can I plow here a minute? There is nothing about man in his natural state that wants God, seeks God, or has anything to do with God. Man in his natural state runs from God. He flees from God. He pushes God away. But when the Holy Spirit induces, pulls, draws, creates an overwhelming desire pushed along by an unseen hand. I wonder if we got to bottom of this room tonight. You remember the day you got induced. You remember the day you got induced. Somebody invited you to church and you went just to keep them from asking you to go again. I'll go this one time. I will not listen. I will not pay attention. And I ain't going to get down there and waller like no old sinner. So you sat back in your seat trying to mind your own business. And you got induced. God. <laughs> God drew you. God induced you. God brought you to himself. I wonder, do you remember the day you got induced and the Holy Ghost threw you and introduced you to Jesus? I'm glad I got drawn. Well, glory. But when I got to this text, I really got overwhelmed. Because up to this point, God's the one that's doing the inducing and doing the pulling and doing the drawing. But now, in this text, Jesus has got induced. Now Jesus is being pulled. Now Jesus has a strong urge What in the world could induce the sovereign God of heaven? What in the world could give the God of heaven any kind of desire or pull to want to come to you and me? Well, it answers it in the text. And they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing nigh, being pulled, being induced to the ship you say that must have been a real pretty ship it wasn't the mast it wasn't the sail it wasn't the rudder it wasn't the anchor it was an after star or, or a mercury 150 on board motor it wasn't the wood it wasn't the tackling 
it wasn't actually the ship that had got him induced. But it's who's on that ship. Listen to this. Their fear had induced him. Their need had induced him. Their desperation had induced them. You see, those men on that ship, he created them. He loves them. He has converted them. He's got big plans for them. He's got Pentecost in mind. He's got revivals in mind. He's got Christianity all over the world in mind. He's got too big a stuff planned for them boys on that ship to let them time that storm. He said, I love them too much. I got too big a plans for them to let them time the storm. I'm a going, I'm a going, I'm a going. I want to tell you, God loves you. He's got big Big plans for you. He wants to use your life. You're not going to drown in the storm. He cares too much about you. Well, glory. He's induced. He's pulled. He's headed to their needs. And can I just stop and say this? What a sovereign God Set in a certain direction. Hang on. He'll be there. You say, suppose he gets stopped. Who going to stop him? Well, just let me ask you this. What you going to use to stop him? He ain't never been stopped before. Nobody before you has ever been able to stop him. Let's deduce this a minute. What you going to use to stop him with? You can't use water. He'll walk on it. You can't use fire. He'll walk around in it. You can't build no big old wall. He'll walk around it. You can't slam the door on him. He'll walk through it and won't even ring the bell. You can't put him on a cross because he'll bleed on it and render it powerless. My God, somebody help me right there. You can't seal him in a tomb because three days later, my God Almighty, he'll come out walking on the other side. You can't sick the devil on him because he'll whoop him again and again. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop the Lord. He will do what he said he'll do. And he'll go where he wants to go. And he'll get there when he's supposed to get there. I see his walking. But number two, I see his words. He's not out there just a walking. He's a walking and a talking. While he is being pulled and induced to that boat, he's got something to say. It is I. It is I. It is I. 
Be not afraid. Now, let me preface this so you don't think I'm ignorant. A lot of people think I am, including my wife. I know the eye of a hurricane is spelt like the eye in your head. But what an eye is in a hurricane, Jesus is the human eye. Have you ever watched the Weather Channel? You know, you know you need to get a life. If all you have to do is watch somebody cook food, play golf, or the Weather Channel. Turn on that big channel where that guy's going to take that big 30-06 and kill Bambi's granddaddy. That's real TV right there, boy. You say it's playing golf a sin? It sure is. It's an abomination in the sight of God. If you play the way I play, it is a shame. Evidently, you don't play too good either, brother. You say fishermen lie. I know that, but golfers cuss. <laughs> yes, how do you know that? A lot of my friends play. And they call me to confess. I was down there in Florida one time, and they said a hurricane's coming. And I want to tell you, I'm not impressed with them people on the Weather Channel. They get up there and say, look, I'm standing out here, and the winds are blowing 90 miles in. Uh-uh. I'm running. But they'll say, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a little information for you. You people over there in Louisiana better look out because that eye has shifted to the west. That, wait, wait, wait just a minute. We got a fresh update. You people in Tampa better look out. That eye's done shifted to the east. What they're saying is that storm ain't a going nowhere where the eye doesn't tell it to go. Uh, time out. Have you ever noticed the weather channel and the maps? Have you ever noticed where the eye is? It's not in the front of the storm. It's not in the back of the storm. It's not on the east wall or the west wall. It's right smack dab in the middle. Time out. Have you ever noticed that the outward winds may be 170, the back winds may be 175, but right smack dab in the middle where that eye is in control, there's a peace, there's a calm. Wow. Because that eye is the center of the storm, that eye controls the storm, and that eye is the calm of the storm. And can I remind you tonight that our Savior, Jesus Christ, He's in the center, He's in control, He's the calm, He's a walking, and He's a talking. He's a walking, He's a talking, and He's a making. He's making peace in the midst of their chaos. No one of the Bible said, and they willingly received him into the ship. I don't know what disciple, I don't know what denomination these disciples were, but I don't think they were Baptist. 
Pastor Corazor, if, if they were Baptists, they were not independent, fundamental, King James-only Baptists. Because if they'd have been the kind of Baptists I spend most of my time with, it'd have been something like this. It's our ship. We're professionals. How's that working out for you, pro? This ain't our first rodeo. I've watched three YouTube videos on storm surviving. We got it. No, it was like, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Only the real spiritual caught that one. Oh, they willingly. You know what you need to do tonight? You need to lay down your little oar and your little life preserver and say, God, I've done all I know to do. I've got nothing but sore hands and a sore back. Come on in my ship. Come on in my ship. Come on in my ship. Wave the white flag of surrender. It's okay to tell Jesus you're not good enough. You're not big enough. You're not capable enough. He already knows it and he wants you to admit it. I see the disciples that's us I see the divine that's him but then I close tonight I see the destination that's it now what I'm about to read you did not come off of sermonaudio.com What I'm about to read to you is not a Joe Arthur or a Mays Jackson or a C.T. or a Cody Zoran illustration. This really happened. (laughs) David Gibbs couldn't even come up with one this good. Notice what the Bible said. When they willingly received Jesus into their ship, Notice the very next word. Say it out loud with me, church. Immediately. Say that with me. Immediately. Say that one more time. Immediately. You say, what does the word immediately mean? It means right now. You say, what is a good word that describes immediately? Shazam. (laughs) You say, but how do you describe immediately? Anybody got your snapper with you tonight? And all of God's people said? You just immediately. You ready? And all of God's people said, as as soon as Jesus got on their ship, the Bible said, and read the rest of it. The ship was at the land whether they went. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. And when Jesus got on board, the ship was at the land where they went. 
Either you believe the Bible or you don't. It's right in there. You say, why does that overwhelm you? Remember the introduction about an hour ago? I said they had eight miles to go. They'd only gone four. And it took them all night to go the four. But when Jesus got on board and all of God's people said, I mean, son, they have worked all night, rode all night, and the best they could do was halfway. They got as far to go as they had before they got started. But when Jesus got on board, Wow. You say, how does the boat travel that fast? Shazam. I believe when they start on this side, it looks like an eternity. Boy, from that doctor's office to that surgeon's table. God, it felt like a lifetime. And as you walk with your family, as you walk with your children, as you pastor your people, as you chart your way through the uncharted waters, places you've never been, burdens you've never had, pain that you've never felt, and places you didn't even know existed, it seems like a long night, a long week, a long month, a long year, a long decade, a long century, a long lifetime. But when God says peace and God comes on the scene, it's like, And I believe when they reached their destination, they looked back and said, wow, that wasn't too bad. That wasn't too far. Well, that wasn't all that long. For their destination was reached. You say, who reached it? Every one of them. Everybody that got on board in verse 16 got off board in the last verse of the text. Nobody got dumped overboard. Nobody got chucked in the sea. Nobody died on a trip. By God, everybody that got in grace rode grace and got off of grace. And I mean to tell you, you're not going down. You're not going under. The devil's not going to destroy you. This trial will not defeat you. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Savior. And God's going to step out and say, it was reached it was realized because they looked back and said wow what a God you say it's been a long time coming that's up to you he's just a away let me close with this tonight. You've been very gracious. I've preached 40 minutes. 40. 
And I wasn't supposed to preach 20. So I'm just going to let y'all sing tomorrow night. <laughs> no, if I'd have known I'd had this much fun, I'd have come last night. <laughs> Scott probably preached one of my outlines anyway, truth note about it. Stand beside me, preacher. Let's get some music. I'm about done. Come on. The difference in this text between drowning in that sea and dying in that storm is their reaction. And they willingly. Won't you quit fighting him tonight? Won't you quit pushing him away tonight? And say, Jesus, this is too big for me. This is too high for me. It's out of my hand and it's over my head. But I'm glad tonight it's under his feet. Some of you tonight need to look at your depression and say, you need to look at your fear and go, you need to look at your doubt. You need to look at all the things Satan's put in your life and say, in Jesus' name, I'm opening up my heart to Jesus. Come on in, Lord. Take over. Take control. Let's stand together. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the cross. And apply these truths to our hearts tonight. And we'll love you in Jesus' name. Out on the water, storms raging high. The waters around them, they were troubled. 